0: If this is your first time with us, or if you haven't been here with us in a number of weeks, uh, we are in a series called The Mind of a Disciple. This is a series in which we are looking at some words from Paul in his book of uh, Philippians, where we've talked about what it means to have the mind of a disciple. In other words, we've talked about what it means to have the attitude or the mindset of Jesus. Jesus. Because when we talk about being Christian disciples, that's essentially what we're talking about. We're talking about trying to be like Jesus. It's not complicated. It's actually relatively simple to understand. It may not be that simple to carry out and do, but um, it is pretty simple to understand. And so when we talk about the mind of a disciple, that's what we're talking about. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at three what we called thought qualities that we found in Paul's book to the Philippians, in chapter 2. And just to review briefly, with those of you who weren't able to be with us that week, Paul outlined what, what I consider these three thought qualities, and they were essentially this, agreement on purpose. Not agreement, not on accident, but agreement on purpose. Agreement on what it is that our purpose is. If we, as people who call ourselves Jesus followers, Christians, um, if we could agree on what our purpose is, then all these other things become secondary. So, if we could agree on purpose, then that would go a long way toward us truly becoming disciples of Christ. And so, we talked about agreeing on purpose, and last week we talked extensively about this. We talked about this idea of our purpose being to lift high the name of Jesus, that. Our purpose is to spread the good news of the gospel, and the gospel is this power that God unleashed on the world through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. The power to change everything in the world. If we could get that, if we could agree on our purpose to spread that good news, to make everything about those of you who were here last week, what? What do we make everything about? Jesus, because what did Paul say was the most important thing? Jesus was the most important thing. And so that's what we talked about last week, agreement on purpose. But there are two other thought qualities that Paul mentions. The second of those is love for each other. That's where we're going to spend our time talking today. The third thought quality that we'll talk about next week is being united together on purpose. So it's one thing to agree on purpose, it's something different. To be united on purpose. And so we will talk about being united on purpose next week. But for this week what we want to do is we want to spend some time talking about what it means to have love for each other. Now those of you who attend the church, what I'll say regularly, um, you know that sometimes I do things weird. I do weird things up here. Sometimes I don't follow convention. And this week will be no exception to that. We're going to do something a little bit different Uh, How many of you are math fans in the house? Look, I've got a, look how quick his hand went up, man. Um, So we've got some people who kind of like math. Anybody who absolutely does not like math? just Okay, well, a lot more of you just don't like math. Well, um, for those of you who don't like math, look, uh, just deal this morning. This is not going to be complicated or crazy, but it is going, I, I, I have a purpose, so I need you to follow along. Can you all just agree to do that for me? If you don't like math, just, just deal, and hopefully you'll see that it, it's going somewhere, okay? So so here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to try something new this morning. I've never done this before. It may not work, okay? But I'm going to try to change the screen behind me with my phone, okay? Like I said, this may or may not work. If it doesn't work, it's okay. We'll live, okay? But here we go. <gasps> see. I'm impressed, So what we have up here on the screen behind me is what many of us might call a mathematical expression, okay? Might call this an expression. Some of you are like, okay, whatever. Well, there's no equal sign, right? So so when I'm an equation, it's just an expression. It's just some numbers, okay? Now here's what I want you to do, okay? I want all of you, now these are pretty small numbers, and I didn't go crazy. I've just used basic operators here. Those of you who feel confident enough, I want you to go ahead and try to solve this math problem. Don't say it out loud. Don't answer your, don't answer. Just quietly for now, okay? I just want you to look at it and I just want you to see what answer you come up with for this particular problem. Don't say it out loud. Now listen, okay? Here's the dealio. This is a math problem expression. Does anybody know what we would use to solve this expression or simplify this expression? Google? PEMDAS, somebody said. The order of operations, right? Somebody might say the order of operations. Okay, so if you're a U-version user, okay? I know I say this every week. Some of you are tired of hearing about it. If you're U version user, there are some notes that go along with this in, in version. If not, I'm just going to walk through this really quickly. This math expression utilizes the order of operations. And this is something that you learn pretty early on in school. Um, how many of you that are in, over here in the youth block do not know about the order of operations? You guys all know about it? Okay, I'm pretty confident that there are probably some kids back in Kidco who have also learned about the order of operations, which is basically this. It's a commonplace practice, it's a convention that tells us in what order to do, to execute, if you will, the operators that we see up there. Y'all follow me? See, hundreds of years ago, some mathematicians decided we need to have a conventional way for everyone to do this. What would be the purpose in doing that, folks? So, so we would just, somebody said to make it difficult. Because we want to be able to come to the same answer, right? So mathematicians decided we should come up with a convention that guides us and tells us in what order we should do the operations. Now, if you look in U version, for those of you who aren't, I'm just going to tell you what these are. The order of operations is sometimes called PEMDAS, and that stands for this parentheses, okay? And then you have exponents. And then you have multiplication and division worked from left to right. And then you have addition and subtraction also worked from left to right. That's PEMDAS. So if we were looking up here at this mathematical expression, we would say, well, according to the order of operations, which some people way smarter than us came up with. Some of you might think, listen, I'm pretty smart, right? But some smart people a long time ago came up with this convention, and we've been using it ever since. Right? So we do our parentheses first, and what do we see in parentheses up there? 1 plus 2. Now, that's not complicated, right? So we would come up with 3. So step 1, we've done our parentheses. Now, there are no exponents up here, right? So what would we do second? Now, we would do multiplication and division according to PEMDAS, moving in which direction? Left to right, does anybody disagree? So if we do left to right, folks, what would we do first? If we do left to right, what would we do first? Would we divide six by two? Some of you, yes, which is three, right? Now some of you are saying no, and some of you are saying yes. Now correct me if I'm wrong. But the order of operations seems pretty clear to me. Parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division, left to right, addition, subtraction, left to right. Now, is that complicated to any of us? Some of you are like, it wasn't, but it is now. So we would, according to PEMDAS, the order of operations, you would say, well, I'm going to divide 6 by 2 and I'm going to get 3. And then what am I going to do? Multiply by 3 to get what? What? So some of you say what we should do is divide six by two to get three, multiply that by three to get nine. Some of you are shaking your heads and looking at me like, why would you do that? Right? Well, what are the rest of you saying we should do? So are some of you saying multiply two times three first? Now wait a second, that would be moving from right to left. Why would you do that? So listen, I want you all to pick up on this. Are any of you picking up on the fact that there's a clearly defined order of operations and somehow we do not agree? Now this does not seem that complicated to me. But for some reason, it's complicated. How many of you think, I want to see a show of hands, that we should divide 6 by 2 first? Okay. Do the rest of you think we should multiply 2 times 3 first? Okay. Some of you are thinking, why are we even talking about multiplying two times three first? So there's a parenthesis there, and that number, or that two, well, that two tells us that there's another mathematical principle we should be using called distribution, right? Where we're supposed to multiply that two times both those numbers inside and add them together before we do anything else, right? And some of you are like, That is absolutely not correct. And some of you are saying, yes, it is absolutely correct. Now, does the order of operations seem that complicated to any of you? Yes. It didn't at first, but boy, now it does. So someone said earlier there are technically two answers. Did did you hear say that? Some of you said the answer is nine. Some of you are probably thinking the answer is one, right? And here's the beauty of it. Whoever the person was that came up with this math problem is the person who gets to decide whether the answer is one or whether the answer is nine. Now, some of you are like, "Mm mm-mm. No, that cannot be right. How many of you feel like there must be a right answer? Okay. How many of you think that the answer that you come up with is the right answer? Okay. Okay. Okay, so I would kind of feel this way. There must be a right answer. Why does there have to be a right answer? Oh, here we go. There it is right there. Because if you don't write the right answer on your paper, your teacher's going to mark it wrong. Now, those of you who took math in school or are taking math in school now, what is the purpose of this, learning this right here? To what end are we learning this? Frustration. What? Okay, to use it in college, is that what you said? Polynomials? Okay, what's the purpose in learning about polynomials? So we can go into calculus and learn more math. What's the purpose of learning math at all? There isn't Jesus. Who said Jesus? That's funny. What? So, so they teach us things like this, right? It's real... I, I'm pretty confident it's not just to frustrate us or make us have arguments, okay? But rather, so that we can apply principles that we learn here and actually take them out into the world in which we live and apply them and use them to solve things. Now, some of you will say, I will never use this in real life. And I would argue with you and say that there may be a time when you will use things like this in real life. I went to my father-in-law's house this weekend. And we put a floor in a bathroom. Now that may not seem that complicated to you. But it had like 74 angles in it. Okay? I mean, there are angles all over the place in this bathroom. And lo and behold, I used geometry when I was putting the floor in the bathroom. That's a real thing. That really happened. Did we not have to calculate angles? Yeah, we had to figure out angles. Which means all that stuff I learned in geometry, I'm never going to use again. But lo and behold, I used it. There may actually be times, folks, depending on what field you go in. Stephen, you're sitting back here. Tell us, have you ever used math in the real world in your job? Yeah, do you use it every day? Yeah. Now, what do you do, Steven? You're a computer programmer. So you actually use math. Yeah, see, some of you may not use it, but others of you may. Now, here's my point. This really is, I mean, whether the answer is nine or whether the answer is one, I don't really care what the answer is. To be honest with you, if you come up with nine or if you come up with one, it doesn't really matter to me. Personally, I believe that the answer is one, right? Because, listen, if you were evaluating terms in the expression, two times one plus two is one term because it belongs together. So therefore, I would divide six by six to get one. But if you don't see it that way, I'm not going to stop being your friend, And I'm not going to say, you know what, you're wrong. I'm going to say, clearly, you see that problem differently than I do. Now, who gets to decide whether the answer is nine or one? The person grading it? Is there truth to that or is there not? Who decides if the answer is nine or one? Jesus! Now, some of you may be thinking, why are we talking about this? Here's the reason we're talking about this, that we don't have to even leave. I'll, I'll take this off so those of you who are, don't like math don't have to look at it anymore. Let's see if this works. There we well, if I'm the teacher, the correct answer is one, right? If I'm, your, if I'm the teacher who's grading the paper, I would say the correct answer is one. But if you could prove to me that you felt like the answer was nine, I would probably give you credit. Because you showed me how in your mind, if I follow the order of operations the way I understand them, I get this answer. Maybe I would give you partial credit or maybe I would give you full credit because you did the operations the way you understood the order of operations to work. Y'all with me so far? Some of you are shaking your heads like, that's ludicrous. Ludicrous! And here's what I would say to you. That... Okay, I'm not picking at any of you, but that is really what is wrong with the church. Okay? Jesus, in the book of Matthew, in the 22nd chapter, gives us a spiritual order of operations. Okay? And we're going to go over that this morning. Many of you are very familiar with this passage. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Jesus said when somebody came to him and said, Jesus, what is the most important thing for me to do? In other words, of all the commandments in Scripture, which one goes at the top? Okay? Now, why do you think someone would ever ask someone that question? What would be the purpose? Maybe to eliminate all the others. Well, those those don't matter because this is the most important one. Right? What else? Are there any other reasons why we would go to someone and say, Teacher, tell me what is the most important thing for me to do? So maybe I can make sure I'm doing it right? Priorities? We've given all kinds of good answers. Jesus is approached with this question. Master, what is the greatest commandment? What is the most important thing for me to do? And Jesus says this. Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 40. Some of you know this passage very well. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the, those of you who know it, first and greatest commandment then he says but wait a second one is equally important now what does equal mean does it mean the same think about that before you answer the second is equally important love your neighbor as yourself then he says this the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments Now if we were talking about a spiritual PEMDAS, a spiritual order of operations, what would we get, folks? In what order are we to carry out the execution, no, in what order are we to execute the commands of scripture? Love God, right, above everything else. What's next? Love others, and then what comes after that? Everything else. Now, I need you to really stop and think about that for just a moment. Love God first. Love people second. And then what comes after that? What is it? (laughs) Everything else. Now, here's where I'm going with this. We looked at the mathematical order of operations, which is pretty concise and pretty clear. And yet, we couldn't all agree on an answer. True? True? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah, we couldn't agree on an answer. Some of us no doubt looked around the room at others and thought, that is so stupid that you could come up with that answer. Now, you may not think like they're stupid, right? I'm not saying any of you thought someone was stupid. But you looked at the order of operations and you thought, it is quite clear that the order of operations tells me to do this. There is no room for another answer. And yet, someone else in the room, who's looking at the exact same order of operations, sees it differently. Yes. So what do we do when we're in a situation? Now, we're going to really expound on that aspect next week when we talk about unity. But here's the reality. We have to figure out how to exist in that area, which I will call today a gray area. Okay? Because there's black and white, and then there's gray. Now, to me, the order of operations seems pretty black and white, right? It's pretty black and white. Parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division, left to right, addition, subtraction, left to right. Simple, no problem, case closed until there's a gray area. And we found one this morning, right? We find a gray area. Now, how many of you think there may be gray areas in Scripture some of you don't. That's awesome. So some of you feel like the Bible is just pretty clear black and white without any gray. How many of you think there's no gray in the Bible? Now wait, some of y'all didn't raise your hands. Okay, I get how that goes, because you're like, how anybody looking at me if I put the wrong if I, wrong answer? I don't. There is indeed gray in the scriptures. In the Bible, we find these gray areas. So what do we do when we come across a gray area? In the Bible, church, what do you think we should do? You see, I believe this is why Jesus gave us a spiritual order of operations. So that we would know, when I come across a gray area, my first concern has to be to do what? What must I do first? Love God with all my heart, soul, mind. What then must I do second? What is it? Love people. Now, last week, when we stood up here, a couple of you after church said to me something like this. Um, Pastor Brian, I feel like you just told people not to read their Bibles anymore. Right? Because I said Jesus was more important than the Bible. And there were some people who were like, oh, that's heresy. You, I cannot believe you just said that. But I did say that. That Jesus, in terms of who Jesus is, was more important than than the Bible in and of itself. And some of you felt like I was being a little bit of a heretic in that. What I want you to understand today is that by no means was I telling you not to look in your Bibles or read your Bibles anymore. Right? Because where do we turn when we need to understand what it means to love God first and love others? Where would we find instructions and indications on how to do that? The Bible. Because who do we find in the Bible is doing that? Imagine that. Jesus, and not just Jesus, but Jesus teaches other people how to do that as well. So in Scripture, we find like how to love people. Now, I have spent many, many hours up here talking about how we can love people. I don't really want to go and recycle all of that and rehash all of that. Rather, what I want you to understand today is that the mind of a disciple is in some ways rooted in the idea that I have to understand that I must love God first And then I must love people second. But that is equal to how much I love God. Are you all with me so far? Right? So here's what happens to us though. As Christ followers, there are times when we find ourselves having to deal with gray areas. How do I love God, love people, and follow the commands that are in Scripture? Have any of you ever encountered a situation where you didn't know how you could do that? Yeah, it happens. How do I love God, equally love people with God, and still follow all the commands that I find in Scripture? Are there times when I feel like I can't honor what God says in his word and love people at the same time? Do you ever encounter situations where you feel that way? You see, for some of you, this will be determined by how you define the word love. If you define the word love as a state of being or a feeling, that's totally different than loving someone in action. Would you all agree? I can love you in feeling. I can love you in hope that all goes well in your world and that if you saw me on the street, I would wave to you. And if you needed something, I would help you. You know what I'm saying? But when it comes right down to it, as long as I don't want anything bad to happen to you and I pray for you, That's all I need to do, to love you. Others of you may not see love that way. Others of you may say, no, 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 no. My love for people is determined by my actions toward them. And so for you, for those of you who find yourselves in that position, you may really struggle sometimes with how do I honor what God says in the Bible and still love people who don't, right? How do I actively love someone who's doing something that conflicts with what I believe God says to me to do in his word. What do, what do I do with that? What do I do when I'm presented with these gray areas and I just don't know which way to go? I believe, and what I want you to understand this morning, is I have three things written in these are These are pretty simple. But when you as a believer encounter a gray area, a place where you feel like, I don't know how I can love God, equally love people, and at the same time, Stay true to my understanding of what the Bible tells me to do in terms of all those other commands that are secondary. Here's what I want you to understand today. When you find yourself in that situation, number one, place your faith and trust in God through who? Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Put your faith and your trust in God through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus first. Remember, last week we talked that that was the what? most important thing yes that is the most important thing second once you've done that seek his will in your heart and pray for a genuine love for other people because how many of you just naturally love everybody i don't i know you're like you're not supposed to say that pastor god has to sometimes put a love in my heart that's not there on its own that's just the way it is right Sometimes God has to put his love in my heart because in my humanity, I don't want it there. Sometimes people hurt my feelings. Sometimes people make me mad. Sometimes people have, uh, sometimes I just, sometimes I struggle with people. Now, none of you do, okay, because you're better than I am. But sometimes I struggle. And sometimes God has to say to me, Brian, here's my love. Let it flow from within you. But I have to pray for that at times. I have to say, God, this is a hard one for me. I need you to put your love within me. Seek God's will, seek his will, and pray for love, right? So trust in Jesus, trust in God through the person of Jesus. Seek God's will and pray for a genuine love for others. And then here's the last one, and this is the most important. Trust the sovereignty and mercy of God your Father. Trust the sovereignty and mercy of God your Father. You say, well, what does that mean? If you believe that God is sovereign, here's what that means, that God doesn't answer to anyone, right? So when you as God's student, his child, come home with a math problem, and he says, what's the spiritual PEMDAS rule, and you didn't follow it just right, or you said, well, well God, I didn't quite see it that way. When I read it, I understood it this way. God is what we would call sovereign, which means that God has it within his power to look at you and say, you know what? You didn't quite get it the way I got it. But I'm going to give you credit. Now some of you are thinking, nope. Nope. That is not how it works. The Bible is pretty clearly black and white. Right? God says X, Y, and Z. Is God big enough and sovereign enough to look at you and say, you know what? You believed in me. You loved me with all your heart. And then you loved other people, but in this case, you kind of got the priorities a little bit out of whack. But I'm going to show mercy to you, and I'm going to overlook that. I'm going to, because I can, because the blood of my son Jesus washed away your sin. I'm going to forgive you of that. I'm going to consider that you got the problem right, even though you didn't. Now, some of you are like, Well, I don't want anything to do with that. Because there's supposed to be a right or wrong answer. If I followed all the rules and I understood PEMDAS and I did this and I did that, why is this person over here who didn't get it right getting the same thing that I'm getting? That's not right. That's not fair. What's really the point of even obeying any of the rules? Because here's the thing, church. Here's where we have to come. We have to come to a place where we can look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and trust That they are trusting in God. That they are putting their faith and trust in God through the person of Jesus. You can't determine whether or not they are. Some of you will say, "Mm, well, the Bible tells me that I can tell by their fruit. Well, what can you tell by their fruit? What exactly can you tell by their fruit? What I'm saying to you is, you cannot make a judgment about whether or not they are seeking God. You can't tell whether or not they're trusting and believing in God through the power of his son Jesus. You may say, well, if they were doing that, then their life would look like this, 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 and this. And I'm saying to you that if somebody comes along and says, hey, I'm really seeking Jesus. I'm seeking God's will. I don't see this the same way you see this. Can I still love you enough? Can I still love you? Yes. Here's a bigger question. Let's say somebody in my church family decides to do something that I think is a violation of how I understand Scripture. Here's where it gets really fun, right? And they say, hey, I'll give you an example. Somebody I know, maybe they're a Christian, maybe they're not, okay? They're a teenager, young adult. They get pregnant. They're not married. They're going to have a baby shower, right? We do that in America. We have baby showers. And I say to you, well, listen, I think that's great, but I can't go can't really go to your baby shower well why can't you come to my baby shower well because you got pregnant you're not married that's clearly not scriptural right any of you disagree I mean you can but maybe you say well my bible tells me that this kind of behavior is not condoned in the bible so I can't support that I can't celebrate that I can't celebrate with you for something that's not scriptural how could I do that in good conscience? Or, I don't know, the Bible says that, and please don't anybody be offended, please. I'm just, if the Bible says, well, if a man marries a woman who's divorced, causes her to commit adultery, someone comes to you and says, listen, I'm going to get married, and you say, oh, wow, you've been divorced. I can't, I couldn't possibly go to your wedding. That's a violation of how I understand the Bible. And they say, Well, I don't understand. Well, like, you're, you're my sibling, or you're my child, or you're my close friend, my brother and sister in Christ. And I say, Yeah, but you are doing something that conflicts with my understanding of Scripture. Do I follow PEMDAS? What do I do, church? You see, this is where the gray areas get really complicated. And we say, well, I have to love God first. I can't love God and love you and go to that that thing. I can't do that. Can you? You see, I don't know the answer to that question for you. And I'm not going to try to answer that question for you. What I am going to say is this, though. God is sovereign. Yes? And so if I in my spirit feel like God, I can love God first And that by loving people equally, I'm going to love them. Even though what they're doing in this case is something that I don't necessarily agree with scripturally. And I may think, well, I don't want to risk my relationship with God. Here's what I'm telling you. I believe that the spiritual order of operations tells me to love God first and love people second. And if by loving people second, I get one of those other commandments wrong, God is sovereign and will look down on me and say, you know what? You were trying to love my child. And because you were trying to love my child, you, you, you may have supported something that goes against my teachings and my word. But the reason that you did that was because you were loving my child. Now, I'm not telling you, listen, church, don't any of you think that I'm telling you to just run out and say, well, everything is okay for everybody all the time. Some, sometimes people hear me say something, they're thinking, Brian, you're just throwing all of... The, the Bible and everything out the window. What are you doing? What I'm trying to do is to say to you that the mind of a disciple is one who understands that we must agree on purpose first. That agreement on purpose leads us to love each other because that love that we'll have for each other will be what helps us be united together on purpose. Instead, instead of looking at the Bible and saying, The Bible is just merely the set of rules that God gave us to prove that he's God. Because that's not why I believe God gave us the rules. Earlier I asked you, why would we learn the order of operations in mathematics? Why would we learn that, church? To what end? So we can use it in the real world, right? Now how many of you think that God gave us the Bible purely for the purpose of knowing it so that we can take a test sometime? Do any of you think that's why God would give us what he gave us in scripture? So we can pass his eternal aptitude test? Why then? To what end? Why? Uh, Is it so that we can know the right answer? Or is it so we would better know how to execute what he says to do? Love me first. Love everyone else second. If you really get down to it, almost all of the commands in Scripture have to do with how to better love God or how to better love people. Almost everything is about how to love God better or how to love people better. And the Bible says, love people equally with loving God. And so my encouragement to you today is this. There's a spiritual order of operations And we should follow it, and we should understand that there are probably going to be times when we're going to get some of those other things wrong. You're probably going to get them wrong, and I'm probably going to get them wrong. But if I am placing my faith and trust in God through the person of Jesus Christ, and I'm truly seeking his will, God is sovereign and will give me mercy if I get some of those things wrong, right? So that's my encouragement to you today. There's a spiritual order of operations. A spiritual order in which we should carry out the commands in Scripture. And again, please do not hear me say that that means that you don't have to worry about any of those other commands in Scripture. That you just throw everything else out the window. That I just need this one verse. This is the only three, these are the only verses I need in all the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. But please understand the nature of God and the nature of why we have the Bible in the first place. There's a spiritual order of operations. Love God, love people, everything else. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God, today my prayer is that none of my words are are misunderstood. Father, my prayer is that everyone seated in this room, not that they would agree with me, not that they would see it my way, but rather, Lord, that they would consider the idea, that they would consider the option. Lord, that you truly are sovereign. And that God, even though we may not understand how you, how you think and process and do, way we may not understand all of these things if we place our faith and trust in you through the person of your son, Jesus. Your word tells us that your mercies are new every morning. That there may be times when we get the rest of it wrong. But if we prioritize those two things, that we will be right in your sight. Help us, Father, to be people who love each other, who agree on purpose, and as we'll talk about next week, stand united together in that purpose. Be with us as we leave this place. Be with all those who are not here today. We know of some who are ill and recovering from surgeries, and so, Father, we pray for those families. We love you, we praise you, Father. We ask all of these things in your name this day. Amen. Thanks for being here. I hope that you will come back and join us next week as we finish up our series, The Mind of a Disciple.